0: Experts and that kind of thing you talked to us after, but apologies I can give you a private showing in my office later if you want okay um, we've been we 've been talking about giving, and uh, we're we 're c- continuing on with that and before I go any further, I know that if uh, if you 're visiting that uh, you may have, you may, may have this idea or this preconceived idea that that that's all pastors ever do is ask for money, right? How many... Don't put your hand up. How many are thinking, yeah, here we go again? You turn on the TV, and if there's any TV preacher on, they're always asking for money. Well, what I want to talk to you about today is, is what real church looks like. What does it mean to be a real Christian, and what does it mean to really function as a real church? I would suggest to you today that the sign or the mark that you are truly following Jesus Christ, that you really take Christ seriously, and you take his command seriously, is that your heart is a generous heart, that your heart has somehow been touched by God so that you understand the importance of partnering with God in sharing. Now... uh, I've been getting a lot of letters and emails and, and whatnot, and I got a really neat one after the service last week, and I'd like to share it with you, and I'll, I'll keep it anonymous. Uh, Pastor, appreciated your sermon this morning as usual. You got that part at home. Uh, it provided many things to think about, and make sure that whatever changes needed were done. Now, I've got to tell you, I love getting those kind of emails where people say, I'm making changes. Um, and I hope today that there'll be some changes here. And I've got I to tell you this before we go any further, that it really is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So this person goes on to say, I have known Christ for a number of years, made offerings to the church on Sunday, but never the tithe or 10%. After my wife accepted Christ and was baptized, we looked at our giving to the church. It was not 10%. We prayed about it and started to give 10% of our net income and donated to other works for the Lord. We kept on praying about our tithing, which was not at the 10% of our gross income. Being on a fixed income, we were hesitant about increasing our tithing. Now, it's interesting because I didn't say anything over the last few weeks about tithing on your gross income or your net income. Um, does everybody know the difference between net income and gross income? Net income is sort of like what's left over. Gross income is is the is the, the amount of money that the government says you make. How many know what I'm talking about? And for some of you, you would say that that really was gross. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, listen, uh, this person this is this uh, this person just has come to this conclusion. Being on a fixed income. We were hesitant about increasing our tithing. Now, this person that's writing this is actually uh, on a pension, the senior citizen's on a pension. After praying about the situation that we were not meeting the Lord's command to tithe, we hesitantly increased the amount to the 10% plus donations. Now, here's, here's what this person concludes with. The Lord has done what he said he would do and taken care of our needs after our commitment to tithe and to donate to the Lord. We humans are reluctant to accept the Lord's word that he takes care of his own. I do not know why we were reluctant other than that we do not always have the faith in him and his teaching that we should have. God is good all the time. I thought that was fantastic. In fact, as soon as I got it, I quickly fired back an email and said, do you mind if I share this? Because I know this would be an encouragement to others. You see, something that everybody needs to know is I don't go back to my office to check the envelopes to see what everybody gave this Sunday. I don't do that. I really do not know what anybody gives in this church except myself. As we sit here today, I, I don't know. It's between you and God. So as I look across the congregation and as I speak to everybody here, and if I'm looking you in the eye, I don't want you to think, Pastor Allen's picking on me this morning. As I've had people come to me after a service and say to me, were you you talking to me this morning? And If you've got something to say to me, you could say it to my face, you know. You don't have to wait for a sermon. You have to (laughs) preach about it, you know. You would not believe how many times that's happened. I couldn't count it, in fact. So just to set the record straight this morning... I haven't got anybody singled out. All right, so if I look you in the eye and you feel convicted, it's God. It's not me. Okay, I'm just doing my job here this this morning. everybody everybody's cool with that. All right, thank you. Okay, so just so you know, I'm not picking on anybody, and I'm just I'm just I'm just being the messenger. So here's what you need to know today. Um, over the years, the church has gotten um, a, a bad rap. For being power hungry and money hungry, and they've gotten that bad rap for a good reason. They've done some really stupid things through the centuries. We see it on television. We see uh, we see television evangelists doing stupid stuff and and blowing money. Uh, one one television preacher uh, whose uh, name is actually uh, a certain. Type of money, Creflo Dollar. anybody heard of that? Uh, he believes that God wants him to drive a Rolls Royce. In fact, his congregation gave him a Rolls Royce, and he's okay with that. And if you're okay with that, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm no, uh, a Rolls Royce, really. This from this this is a man preaching about a man who said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. How does he get off on this? How how does he do this? Well, folks, listen to me. I want to talk to you today about what real church is. I want to tell you the truth of what the church is. And I can tell you it's not about this, this prosperity, teaching prosperity gospel. That's not to say that the gospel is not rich. It is rich. That's not to say that God doesn't give people the ability to get rich, because we saw that. But you have to understand this morning that with the ability to get rich comes great responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. You understand that principle. It's not for you, and it's not about me. It's about fulfilling God's great command. It's about, about seeing the commission fulfilled, which is to go into all the world and make a difference, right? Back in the 15th and 16th centuries, we heard about uh, the, the abuses uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. And, I mean, we, we just picked on, on some of the crazy Protestants. Now we've got to pick on the Catholics. So is that fair? Everybody's okay with this? So don't go away from here saying, Pastor hates Catholics. I'm not doing that. Don't go there. But in the 15th, 16th centuries, they were, they, there was a pope that said we got to build a, a beautiful edifice to God in Rome. It's called St. Peter's. And anybody ever heard of that? St. Peter's Basilica. We walked through it. I took a family on vacation. We went through there in 2009. It was—it's a spectacular building. You cannot believe what it is. But as I was walking through this spectacular edifice, I couldn't help but think that this was built by the donations. Of gullible peasants who believed that if they gave money, they could buy their way out of hell. It was because of this practice that Martin Luther and Zwingli and others rose up and said, "Enough is enough. We're not having any part of this phony baloney Christianity." And that was the beginning of what of the Protestant or the it comes from protesting. That was the beginning of the Protestant movement. They said, "We don't want any part of this fake church." They did not believe for one minute that you could buy your way out of hell. And so many people were doing that. They thought, man, if I give my money, I can, I can live like hell now, and I can give money and get my way out of it. It's like the best of both worlds. And Martin Luther said, no way. There's been abuses. And so when it comes to talking about money, people that are just a little bit edgy, it's a taboo subject, you can talk about sex, but don't talk about money in church. But the fact of the matter is, is real church is about really being generous, about reflecting the very heart of God, and the thing that you need to know about God is that God was a giver. The thing that marked the early church in the first three centuries is that their generosity and their love for each other got the attention of the whole world. Never in the history of Christianity. Has the church been more generous than in the first three 300 years? Tertullian, or pardon me, Justin Martyr, uh, somebody that we refer to as one of the church fathers, Justin Martyr uh, became a Christian uh, in the first century, just about maybe 60, 70 years after Christ ascended to, to the Father. He was walking along the beach one day, and an elderly gentleman stopped him and started talking to him about his... His his heart, the state of his, of his, of his mortal soul, and long story short, this elderly gentleman challenged Justin to become a Christian. Justin didn't respond right away, but he was challenged further by what he saw happening amongst believers in Rome. He watched as Christians were willing to lay down their lives for their faith. He watched as Christians were extremely generous to one another. And it so challenged him that he also surrendered his life for Christ. And eventually, he lost his own head. He was beheaded because of his faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we call him Justin Martyr. Well, here's what Justin Martyr says, contrasting his life before Christ and his life after he received Christ. Here's what he says. He says, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, we now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. Wow. He's saying, whereas before we were greedy and we're looking out for number one, looking out for ourselves, now we bring it to a common fund and make sure that everybody's needs are met. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. But now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. Listen to me, that is the picture of the early church. That's the way real church Operates. That's the way real church functions. Look at the scripture verse from Acts chapter 4. The first few chapters of Acts gives a beautiful description of what the early church was like. And here's what it says. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that, they, that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. So just, let me just stop for a moment and point out this. You see the balance here? In verse 32, they're sharing, they're giving, they're taking care of people's needs, and at the same time, they're sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. Can I just remind everybody today that you can't have one without the other. This is the mark of the early church, while they're feeding and caring for and meeting the needs of others, they're also, listen to this, they're also taking care of the spiritual needs of the people. Because God says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so listen to this. We, as we grow in our faith, understand that God wants to take care of and meet our spiritual needs while taking care of our physical needs. The church is a place through, through which Jesus meets our needs. And this morning, I want you to know something. I want you to know that this is a place where God wants to meet people's needs, not just spiritual, but physical as well. And can I just add this? Not just physical needs, but spiritual as well. Has anybody ever heard of the, of the Salvation Army? Anybody heard the Salvation? Army? Anybody ever shop at the Salvation Army? Anybody? Can you recall the smell of the Salvation Army? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can stop and I can I can I can smell it. I can think of it because I went there so much when I was young. Listen, the Salvation Army was founded to bring salvation to people, and they are really good at meeting people's needs. What's happened, however, is that they've forgotten. That the work of God requires not just meeting people's physical needs, it also requires meeting people's spiritual needs. And so that's what this church is about. We meet physical needs, we meet spiritual needs at the same time. Well, let's read on. Verse 34. It says, There was no needy people among them. Can we just stop there for a moment? There was no needy people among them. That's a verse you should underline, especially that phrase. Listen, there's no footnotes here saying, well, most people's needs were met. It says everybody's needs were met. There were no needy people amongst the members of that early church. We're talking about really a a, a staggering idea. It's no wonder, the Bible says, that Jerusalem was turned upside down. The whole whole world, the whole... uh, Jewish world was turned upside down by this radical teaching about Christ and his church meeting people's needs. Why? Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those, get to those in need. We're talking about radical, radical Christianity. Well, this morning I want to show you what real church looks like and I want to show you why our church does what it does. Why do we go overseas? Why do we go to Burundi and the Philippines? And why do we raise money for those who've been devastated by floods? And why do we, why do we go to Zambia? And why do we give to the Village of Hope? And why do we raise money to, to give out Christmas hampers? And why, do we, why are we situated in this community? I'll tell you why. It's because that's what real church does. And pastor, why are you talking about giving yet again? Don't you think one sermon a year is enough? Do we have to really have six sermons on this subject? And the the short answer to that is yes. We do need to have six sermons on it. I'll tell you why. Because by nature, and you know this about yourself, by nature, we're greedy people. And we need to be reminded of what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ. We need to learn what it means to be a Christian. So the thing we recognize then about the, about the early church is that it was loving and generous. Now I want to just point this out to you today. The word love in the New Testament is, can easily be substituted with the word give. And I'll demonstrate that to you in just a moment. But let me say this. Tertullian. Again, one of the church fathers. I love church history. I recommend everybody, if you haven't got some church history, you're not reading that, go get that for Christmas. Uh, Wives, buy that for your husbands. Husbands, um, You can can get mad at me later (laughs) that you're getting a book for Christmas. I really recommend you get it, though, and read it and find out more about what it means to really be on fire for God. Tertullian commenting on the effect of the church on, on Rome. He says this. He says, the Roman citizens would exclaim, see how these Christians love one another. Listen, the only way that they could see that is that something has something has to happen. You, you could talk about love, but the only way that you can really know that I love you and care about you is that I have to do something to demonstrate my love for you. And that's what the early church did. They demonstrated to, to the world their love for one another by their love giving, by their sharing with one another. Christ in John 13, 34 and 35 says this. He says, let me give you a new command. Jesus says, love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. The Apostle Paul, picking up on that theme, writes that famous letter to the Corinthians, and we all know 1 Corinthians 13. What what is 1 Corinthians 13? We call it the what chapter? The, The love chapter, that's right. Listen to this. Chapter 13, verse 3. Paul says, If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But... If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So in other words, Paul's saying that the bottom line of everything we do as believers is got to be a love. But what kind of love? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because if you go to the Greek, you'll see that the word love is the word uh, agape. Has anybody heard the word agape? The, that word agape translated into, into the Septuagint, into the Latin, is the word charity. Has anybody heard the word Charity. Listen, did you know that the word charity is synonymous with love? That's what charity is. So here's what I'm saying to you today. You cannot say that you are a loving person and not be giving, because that is the very definition of what love is, according to the Apostle Paul. It means that that you give charitably. You give lovingly. Your love is expressed through your giving and through your sharing. The practice of charity means the voluntary giving of help to those in need who are not related to the giver. So the word love came to be known as giving. So don't talk to me about love because talk is cheap. Show me that you understand what love is by what you do. Do you know that if you uh, look at the majority of charities around the world, guess what you're going to find as a common denominator between all these charities. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find Christianity or the church. The church, understanding its called by God to, to bring love to this broken and hurting world, is always the first the first group, the first people on the ground to bring help and relief to those in need. I've traveled around the world. I've had that privilege, through, for, for, uh, mostly for missions and Christian reasons. And here's what I discovered. So many hospitals in the third world are started by church. So many feeding organizations are church-based. So much relief work done around the world is church-based. Has anybody heard of World Vision? What a lot of people don't know is that that is a Christian organization. And we see, we see the great work of the church around the world is based out of the church. Now, the early church was known for its giving. That's what real church was. There was a giving church. They shared. They did whatever they could to help others. And they took that as a command from Jesus Christ himself. Do you know during the third century, there was a devastating flood that hit the ancient world And people were literally uh, throwing their loved ones out on the street. They would kick them out of the house because they were sick and they were afraid of dying because of the illness. It would be like me saying to Nick, get out of the house. You're sick and I don't want to get sick. Imagine if I did that. Sarah can stay, but Nick, you got to (laughs) go. That's what they were doing. Family members were even throwing out their own family members. But look at this. It was, it was the church, and only the church, only Christians that rose up and ministered to the needs of those who were sick, broken, and hurting. Risking death, they reached out and cared for those who were dying. Why? Because they understood that this world is not their home. That to live as Christ and to die is gain. The, the rule for the early believer was Giving even if it meant giving one's own life so you understand that what i'm talking today about today is not just about money i'm talking about an attitude of giving of laying down your life for others that was the early church they risked being infected for the sake of christ Don't you think that if the world saw us that way, that would create a a massive revival in our midst? You know what? Listen to me. I I have been in the ministry now for 30 years, and I have heard that revival is coming. Revival is coming. we got to pray for revival. We prayed for revival. We pray for revival. But I'm going to tell you what will really bring revival. Start doing what Jesus Christ tells you to do, and watch the Spirit of God do things that your prayers will never do. You say, Pastor Alan, are you against prayer? Absolutely not. Of course I'm for prayer. But a prayer that does not go along with an obedience to Jesus Christ is just pure ritual and religion. It has nothing to do with Christianity. James tells us what pure religion is, and it's to take care of the orphan and the widow. You start taking care of the poor, the widow, the broken, the hurting, the dying, and watch the Spirit of God do things in your midst that you never would have imagined. This is real Christianity, people. So don't talk to me about how spiritual you are. Show me. Start contributing and helping to meet the needs of the poor. And watch what God will do through your life. Tell me you're praying for your neighbors? Great. Great. But do they know you're praying for them? The only way they'll know it, people, is by, by showing up at the doorstep and giving them cookies for Christmas. or, or Don't give them fruitcake, please. Nobody wants fruitcake. <laughs> Show them that you care. Show them how much you really care. And watch what God will do. And then watch how powerful your prayer is. Your prayer will bring miracles, but people listen to me, you've got to do your part. You've got to do your part, even as God as you expect God to do His part. The church father Clement, describing a person who had come to know God, this brand new believer, I love this, he describes how this, this person gives. Now listen to this, listen to this quote. it's fantastic. He says, this new believer, he impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need. Let me just write that. Let me say that in simple English. This guy went without to make sure that he could give to others so that nobody was doing without. Imagine that. That's what we call sacrificial giving. And that wasn't because a pastor told him to or because a pastor was preaching a series on it. It was because he was responding to the Holy Spirit in his own heart. He impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need. Listen to this. Especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother can. <laughs> Isn't that great? So that'd be like me saying, uh, who can I pick on this morning? Jeff. It's dangerous sitting there, Jeff. So be like me saying, let's see, could I I handle poverty better than Jeff? I don't think Jeff can handle it as well as me. So therefore, I'm going to go, I'm going to be impoverished. I'm going to do without, and I'm going to give what I have to to Jeff because I can handle it better. Now, folks, listen to me. If, If that isn't love, I don't know what love is. This is the essence of Christianity. It puts other people first. It it considers other people. Now, am I judging Jeff? No, I'm not judging Jeff. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do everything in my power to outdo him in loving and sharing and caring for others. Listen to me. The only competition you should ever have with another human being is to outdo them in being good and doing good for them. Wow. Wow. He goes on to say this. Clement says this about, this about this new believer. Listen, this goes back 2,000 years ago this was written. Listen, almost 2,000. He likewise, this guy likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he doesn't complain. Now, how many of us complain whenever you know we've got to endure a little bit of hardship? We want everybody to know, look what I'm suffering. And we do the same thing when it comes to giving. Look how I've given. Everybody must know what I've shared, what I've given. Listen to me. The early, the early Christian, the early believer, he was not looking. She was not looking for recognition. She wasn't looking for a pat on the back. She wasn't looking to have their name put, on, put in lights or mounted on a brick and put on the wall so everybody could say that this person was a donor and a giver. Has anybody ever been to the Grace Hospital? You walk in the front door, and the walls are lined with all the people who have given. And you got a special name. If you're just a regular donor, just giving like a couple hundred bucks, well, you're just a donor. But if you give more, then you get a special name. If you give $1,000, you're a builder. I'm a builder. You're just a donor. If you give 5000 uh, now you are a super builder. <laughs> I'm a super builder. You're just a builder. And you, you're just a donor. And on and on goes. And then there's the hierarchy of people who give. If you give millions, well, then you are a founder. Wow. And every now and again, you'll read on the list. As I love reading these lists. you read, You come along and you'll see anonymous. I think, here's somebody. Here's somebody who gets it. Do you get it this morning? God has called you to partner with him in bringing hope and health and healing and light to this dark and broken and hurting world. Some of us have heard the the devastating news of those 20 children shot this past week. I know where I was when I heard the news. I'll never forget it. And my question is this is what has happened to our culture, what's happened to our society in a country that calls itself Christian? Folks, we've got we've got really, really serious problems. And it's because we have forgotten our God, and we bought into this idea that God wants you to fulfill and satisfy your own dreams. God wants you to see your visions fulfilled. And what you forget is what God wants is for you to see his vision fulfilled. And that's to bring hope and healing and help to a broken and hurting world. This early church, they give sacrificially. They, be, they gave beyond anything you and I could imagine. And some of you are sitting here today and saying, well, who could live this way? Who could actually live like that? And you know what? That's a good question because the answer is nobody can You can't live that way unless the Holy Spirit enables you. Does anybody remember reading about the rich ruler in the Bible? He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, make sure that you keep all the commands. And the rich ruler says, well, I've done that. And Jesus says, two thumbs up. Well, I'm paraphrasing a bit. (laughs) Two thumbs up. And the rich ruler says, well, what else must I do? Because he knows it's not enough just to be legalistic because there's got to be something else, Jesus. Come on, tell me the full story. What's the real thing i got to do? And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked that question because here's what I want you to do. Rich young ruler, take all your stuff and sell it and all the money you get from that, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich ruler says, hold on a minute here. You don't really expect me to do that. Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly what I expect you to do. And the rich ruler turned around and walked away. And Jesus, I'm sure, with great sadness, watched the back of this man as he walked away. Jesus didn't run after him and try to strike a deal with him. Jesus didn't say, well, look, at okay, not everything. 50% will do. 10%, okay, I'll take 10%. No, Jesus said, everything. Why? Because his money was more important to him than Jesus was. Now this morning, I want to ask you the question. Is Jesus your everything? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means he's number one in your life. You're willing to lose it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. The disciples looked on at this and they said, Jesus, are you kidding me? I'm sure Judas, the treasurer, is saying, Jesus, what are you doing? We had this guy with all this money. I'm sure he would have shared some of it. He could have helped the cause. Can I just remind everybody of something? God doesn't need your money. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It, it all belongs to him, and he knows how to get what he needs to get the job done. But here's the thing. God gives us the privilege and the honor of partnering with him and making a difference in this world, and everybody who partners with God and making a difference in this world, they're the happy ones. They're the joyful ones. They're the, they're the ones whose hearts are set on fire because you've experienced the joy of giving. One of the things I love about these missions trips is because every time we go, and we, I watch these, these missionaries from our church that go to Burundi and to Africa to watch the change that happens in their heart, they're changed Forever. Being in a position and given the opportunity to meet the needs of others. It changes your life forever. Jesus said goodbye to that rich ruler. And the disciples said, Jesus, who on earth can be saved? And God's, here's what Jesus said. With, with, with man, it's impossible. It's impossible to be saved. It's impossible to live this way. It's impossible to live the giving life on our own, because by nature we are so, so self-centered. We're so greedy. I know that the base, the core of my being, I'm a greedy person. I know that comes as a massive shock to everybody here today. You're just going to go away just very, very very discouraged and disillusioned. Don't be. Because the fact of the matter is the people sitting beside you are also very greedy. And so are you. With man, it's impossible. We can't live this lifestyle. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. And this is why I say the mark of the believer is that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. You've been a- been enabled by the Holy Spirit to live the life, the life of generosity and giving. The thing that you discover about the early Christians is that the their giving wasn't simply limited to their fellow believers. In other words, there wasn't anybody saying, I'm, I'm willing to give, but let me see your... Do you, have, do you have a membership card from Cross Church? Let's see the membership card. Yeah. Do you have, are you part, what church are you part of? Because if you're part of a church, then I'm going to help you. No, they weren't doing that. There was nobody checking out membership cards. Nobody checking to see what church you belong to. The church was generous without condition. And they cared for the poor, the broken, the sick, the needy, the believer, the unbeliever. They even cared for their enemies. Do you have any enemies? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do you have any enemies? When I was a a young boy, I became a Christian at eight years of age. Uh, very young believer and, and, and at, the, at a very young age wanted to completely surrender my life to Christ. I really wanted to completely live a radical life for Jesus. And so I remember praying, God, help me help me to love my enemies, because that's right there in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I suddenly thought, well, who are my enemies? Okay, when you're 9 or 10, like, do you really have enemies? But I knew that there had to, I had to have an enemy, because Jesus told me to love them. And then suddenly I thought of my next-door neighbor, Mrs. Topolnicki, who didn't have any kids, I don't think. And I don't think she was ever a child. I think she was born into this world as an old, grumpy lady. <laughs> I'll tell you, if, if, if... So here it is, this old, retired lady, and she's got her bachelor nephew living with her. And right next door to her... and and and. You know what I'm talking about? This, the living, this elderly meticulous lady who keeps all her flowers are all you know eight inches apart is exactly, and the leaves are polished on them, on those leaves, on those flowers. Grass is perfectly green, and next door to her is a family of six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Four kids, two years apart. All these little hellions running around. And these are the people she stuck with next door. And you could see her at the window every time we you know, I don't know, she must have had some kind of special sense, but if you put her foot your foot on her grass on the window. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? You knew where the property line was, because our grass would be cut sometimes. We had other things to do than cut grass. Her grass was perfectly manicured, perfectly green. Ours was kind of brownish. <laughs> and I think like our grass was so long that sometimes it would like f- lie down onto her property, which I think really bugged her. So there was 3 inches of our grass lying on her grass. And you could see the property line cuz it would be like it would be like perfectly manicured on one side and Green, and on the other side it was kind of a little bit brown, and you know, you cut it when you can get around to it. And if you stepped on her grass, well, she was furious. One time, um, my friends and I were playing in between the houses, and uh, we can never grow grass between the houses, always a lot of mud. And she had a great big picture window. I don't know why she's got a picture window facing our brick wall of our house, but she had a beautiful big brick window, our big uh, glass window. I'll get this story straight. Now, just think about this there's a water hose, there's mud, there's a great big glass window. And we don't have a playground or play structure, we've got mud. So my friend Herb and I are picking up the the mud. I think, man, this this is almost like a snowball, only better. And boom! Right against the window and it stuck wonderfully. Oh. It was like it was like and it didn't move. And Herb says, let me try that. Pop. Stuck perfectly. And then so I thought, well, you throw them against the wall the window and I'll get the hose and I'll wash it off. This is fun. <laughs> Mrs. Mickey comes to the, come to the window and she starts going like this. Okay, But now the, there's a reflection, so we can't really see her. I could see somebody in there doing that. And then all of a sudden she comes charging out and she sees Herb, my, my little buddy Herb, who is much shorter than me, poor Herb. And she just hauled off and smacked him across the face. Well, we stopped then. <laughs> but I felt really bad about that, and I quickly realized um, that she probably was my enemy. I never it never occurred to me that I was her enemy, <laughs> but I, I was I was definitely. She was definitely my enemy. And so, you know, I, I had a paper route, and I had a little bit of money, and I just felt God saying, go buy her a rose. I went to, the, to our florist uh, on Hespler, bought a rose, and brought it to her. I knocked on the door, and I handed it to her. I thought she was going to kill me, you know, but, you know, I felt God telling me to do that. I was a Christian, and the Bible says, love your enemies. So I brought that rose to her. You know what she did? She, uh, she didn't punch me. But she started to cry and big tears streaming down her cheeks. And she invited me into her kitchen, sat me down and gave me some, some, uh, some kind of Ukrainian goodie, I don't know what it was. But then her, her, bachelor, uh, her bachelor nephew came around and he was really moved by this very kind act of a child. Because my parents didn't tell me to do this. This was me being told by God to be nice to my enemies, to show real generosity and love. And so he got out the schnapps. Dad, you'll remember that. And uh, poured a little glass of schnapps for me. And I'm not telling you anything more about that. (laughs) What I want you to know is this. What I want you to know is this. You and I are called to demonstrate the love of God. And the one who has been touched by the Spirit of God is the one who understands what it means to love and understands that true love is generous love. I had had an opportunity to buy um, a gift card this past week. And... um, I thought, you know, this is good. It's a little fundraising thing. I help out a kid, and then you know, I got 50 bucks. Go buy that. Go use that to buy some, some goodies from Sobeys. I was handed the card. I put it in my pocket, and all of a sudden, I felt God saying uh, to give it away. And God told me who, who to give it to. And I would saying, oh, really, God? <laughs> yeah, give it away. And so I said, okay. And so I went over to the person, and I put the card in their hand. And, you know, it was like, well, thank you. And I said, look, it's nothing to do with me. It was God's idea. It wasn't my idea. give God thanks. And recognize that it's God's provision. I'm just a channel of God's blessing. Do you know, that when I got home from, from church... Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, got home from church, opened up my mailbox, opened up a Christmas card, a card I got from somebody I haven't talked to for over a year. And in it was a $50 bill. Isn't it interesting? I give away that $50 gift card, and no sooner do I get home, but it's back in my pocket. I got my 50 bucks back. I want you to know something. The Bible says that God will never be anybody's debtor. In Proverbs 20, uh, 19, verse 17, listen to this. It says, mercy to the needy is a loan to God. When you're merciful to the needy, you're actually giving God a loan. And look, look what the Bible says, and God pays back these loans in full. So you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'd like to give, but I'm nervous about it. I'm, not, I'm afraid to give because I'm in need myself. Listen to me. Take the step of faith and learn what it means to live the supernatural lifestyle. Where you depend on God and believe that God wants to meet your needs. I gave that 50 bucks away because God told me to do it. And I said, I don't take any credit for it. Give God the thanks. In fact, I told this person, make sure you tithe on it. Because God wants to teach you something. He wants to teach you that he wants to take care of your needs. So I I want you to know today that you cannot outgive God. And not only that, but God won't owe you one penny. Gloria and I have tried to live our our whole Christian life like that, and we have found God's rich provision. And we are in a position where we can share with you the miracles that we've had in our life. The the we can, we can share with you how God has interacted in our life because we've been faithful in our generosity. The proverbs go on to say this, and this is this is this is this is a very serious. Scripture verse. How many know that God keeps his word all the time? God goes on to say this Proverbs 28 27 Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Some of us right now are living under a curse. You've seen the need and you've withheld. It's been, it's been in your power to help those in need, but you've, you've hung, hung on to it. The Bible makes it clear that whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. So can I say this to you today? Isn't it time to start being a real Christian as you belong to this real church? Isn't it it time to say, God, I'm really serious about following you. I really want to do what you call me to do. I want to begin to share, and I want my life to count. Isn't it time you did that? You see, Pastor, this is a very, very uh, difficult time of the year to be asking me to give. Listen to me. uh, God will take care of you. He's promised to. What you have to do is you've got to step up to the plate and trust him. You've got to take that step of faith. I want to share with you uh, another letter that I got. And uh, and then we'll close. And it goes like this. Pastor Allen, I just wanted to say thank you for this new sermon series on giving. This is something our family needed to hear this coming season. We were reminded that it is not only about us, but about others. Lately, our household has been not filled with joy and laughter, but with stress, fights, and greed. We have fallen into the, I need this or I want that, of commercialism, and have forgotten that it's not about me. Thanks for the reminder to us, my husband also forgot that the job he now has is the one that God provided for him. Things were not going the way he thought and was stressed and fighting with co-workers He told me that he forgot about God. It's not about him, but it's about the one who got him the job. God gave it to him to use for his glory and honor. I, too, have dropped the ball as a mother and not being the mom that my kids need me to be. I haven't been reading my Bible as much as I have spent time on the computer or watching TV. I, too, forgot that the kids that I have are not mine, but God's. I've not been loving my kids as God would love me. Since the series on giving began two weeks ago, God has given me a new hope for my children. I have invested more time in hearing about their day and talking, taking the time to pray with them and actually listening to what they have to say. We both needed a reminder that it's not all about us. This house we have, with mice in it, Is God's house. And this person says, and the Meister his problem too. Ha ha, just kidding. (laughs) God has been faithful to us in the past by providing a home for us, money, a job that exceeded all our expectations, and much more. And we know he will continue to be faithful to us in the future. We have since gone shopping and have bought presents for others, thinking not of ourselves but of others. This is really cool. Our daughter's school's class is collecting food for a hamper for a family need. She wanted to bring in some food, but was not satisfied with the recommended several cans of food. She wanted to bring in two bags of food because we have enough food to eat. And since we have both taken seriously our role as givers, this past week was full of giving thanks to God and thinking of others. Our home is now joy-filled And we are happier because of it. Our lives are stress-free because we're trusting God. Thank you for this wonderful sermon series and for being our pastor and friend. We love you and thank God for you in our lives and in our church. We have the best church. I'm not biased. I just speak the truth. And I say amen to that. We pray that you will have a great week filled with the joy that comes from thinking of others. God bless your life stress-filled right now? It's not supposed to be. Not if you're a Christian. The Bible says the mark of the believer is that you've got love, joy, and peace. Maybe it's time to start living the way God told you to live and not the way you think you should live. Stop taking your life into your own hands and start doing what God says. Put your life into God's hands and believe that he wants to meet your needs. What I know is that everybody who puts their faith in God... They're the ones that always have a job. They're the ones that always get a job. They're the ones that always have their needs met. They're the ones that have their finances in order. They're the ones whose lives are going smoothly. But those who say, I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to do it on my own. They're the ones who are constantly in trouble. They're the ones whose marriage is constantly in trouble. Their business is in trouble. They're not making any money. They're falling behind. They're in trouble. Listen, people, I cannot stress this enough. And remember, I'm not checking anybody's giving, so I don't know what's going on in your life. But I'm going to tell you this, if you want to have a stress-free life and you want to get your life on track, start taking God seriously. Start doing what he says and watch the miracles begin to happen. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you so much for the joy that's, that's ours as believers. God, we know today that you want to meet our every need. You want to provide for us miraculously. God, we pray right now that you give us the grace and the strength to live this impossible life. Because we can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. We do know this, Lord, that everyone who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus Christ has been given the Spirit of God to enable us to live this life out. So, God, right now we come and yield ourselves to you and we say, God, have your way in our lives. And we pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go be a giver. Thank you.